Welcome to another episode of Energy Talks. I'm journalist Markham Hislop. This podcast is all about interesting conversations with energy and climate experts from around the world. And don't forget to follow us on social media, on Twitter, at E-N-E-R-G-I Media, and my personal handle, at PoliticalHam, on Facebook, facebook.com slash energymedia. Energy.media is our website, where you'll find Markham and Energy columns, news stories and op-eds, and the Energy Student Resources Portal, a wiki-style collection of our work that's free for high school teachers and university professors to use in their classrooms. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. I'm going to be talking to Robert Aslant, a Senior Vice President of Policy for the Business Council of Canada, about his excellent Globe and Mail op-ed from last December, titled, Canada Needs Its Own Bold Industrial Policy, the U.S. cannot keep carrying us. Now, before we begin the conversation, I have a conflict of interest to declare. Last year, the Alberta Federation of Labor contracted me to be the lead writer on a report, uh, Skate to Where the Puck is Going, that leaned very heavily on industrial policy. And of course, I've had a keen interest in it ever since. So welcome to the interview, Robert. Thank you for having me. Now, I the, the average Canadian probably isn't aware but in policy circles, industrial strategy and policy is is the hottest thing and is generating a lot of uh, discussion, uh, both inside the federal government, in some, but not all, provincial governments. And why is that? Maybe let's start with what industrial policy is and why we're getting excited about it. There are two main reasons for it, in my opinion. First is... Uh, the new geopolitical configuration. Uh, in a distinctive stage of that, there's the U.S.-China rivalry on national security, technical, technological innovation, and that has uh, very broad implications for countries uh, like that uh, are uh, trading nations such as ours. The, the second is. Um, uh, and it's linked to it, but it's it, it's a growing uh, trend of pro protectionism that we see amongst uh, Western economies, uh, where uh, because of the pandemic, because of new rivalries, people feel safer having some parts of their supply 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 chain, sorry, closer to home than depending, uh, let's say, uh, to other countries that are less trusted, let's say that. Um, and so th those are the two main drivers. Uh, I, I wouldn't go as far as uh, a lot of people where uh, it is being described by deglobalization. I would say it's a new form of, of globalization, maybe a more regionalized one, uh, in North America being a good example. If you look at cars, EVs, energy, certainly it looks like it, it will be done more from a North American perspective, um, but you will see the, these economic blocks uh, emerging. So th that's the trust of it, I think. And and uh, viewers and listeners can go to the uh, Energy Talks podcast and see uh, a couple of months ago, I interviewed uh, Shannon K. O'Neill about her argument that what we're headed for is not another form of globalization, but regionalization. So you can see the, right. you can hear the argument being explained in detail there. Now, 
the back in 20 you, you and you mentioned this in your in your op-ed but i ran across uh, joe biden's campaign literature and there was a paragraph in it and this is from 2020 uh or maybe it was from 2019 where he said china is beating our pants off in industry particularly clean energy and he, he mentioned specifically electric vehicles he said i promise that by 2030 the us will be back in the number one position and he, and now we have the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act and the Chips and Science Act, which you single out as the two biggest pieces of U.S. industrial policy. It's really too important to understand the size and the scope of these two bills you just mentioned. Um, you know, older people remember the Apollo program, the space program in the 60s. These two bills are about at least double in constant dollars, the amount of dollars that the US government is investing. So it's industrial policy at scale, at very, very large magnitude. Uh, and it's very, very aggressive. Uh, people really need to understand this. And yes, Biden, to your point, telegraphed this before uh, he ran as president. Actually, at the beginning of, of the primary season when he was running as a Democratic candidate, to get the nomination, and at that point, I had written an op-ed in the Globe saying, guys, this is coming. We should prepare for it and have kind of our own thinking about ancestral policy. And of course, uh, it's a bit, um, you know, it's nice uh, for me to say that three years after, I was kind of right. Uh, Sean Spear and I have written, had written Newnard Star, in which, again, we were seeing these trends and implying Canadian policymakers to be much more intentional about economic growth, economic policy in general, and this that uh, this trend will not be uh, possible to go around. And so here we are, uh, a bit late in the game, trying to figure out what's our industrial policy. Now, uh, in your uh, in your op-ed, you linked to a speech by U.S. Secretary of Commerce. Gina Raimondo that I went and read. And if anyone wants to know exactly in detail, spelled out clearly and articulately what the Americans are up to, read that speech. That was one of the most amazing speeches I've ever read for its clarity. Would you agree? I totally agree. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have said it better, to be honest. Uh, it explains uh, where uh, Americans are trying to, to win. And there are basically three families, uh, or three key uh, elements to that strategy. First is uh, computing, AI, quantum, everything that is linked to computing power. Uh, second is biomanufacturing. And third is clean technology. And that's well explained and why it's important for national security, but also for growth. The other thing I should say and point out that I think is really important, it's not just a political economy consideration, in other words, just for national security. It's also because as countries evolve in the way they think about economic policy, and certainly the last 20 years we've seen this, we need, uh, when you look at the current account deficit, trade balance. Any economy that wants to be competitive needs to produce needs to produce goods and services. If you look at Canada and you take out oil and gas and car parts, we have a huge uh, negative trade balance. 
And that's just not sustainable going forward. You need advanced manufacturing in countries if you want to be productive and if you want to be competitive. Now, uh, just last month, uh, the International Energy released what I think is a seminal report. It's called Technology Perspectives 2023. It has kind of a bland name. But really what it said was, is that, first of all, we had the pivot from fossil fuels to clean energy, and we're thinking primarily wind and solar, but maybe nuclear and hydro as well. And this report said, now what we've, we're pivoting to is clean energy industry. We have to build the wind, the wind turbines and the solar panels and the electric vehicles and the batteries. All of that, those parts, those products have to be manufactured and we have to build the industry to do it. And the IEA, no less, argued that we are entering into the equivalent of a new industrial revolution. And I think, Robert, that the, the Americans get this. Mm -hmm. I don't think Canadians, I, I don't see that urgency, that magnitude of ambition, of, of the sense that the, the, you know, the global economy is being transformed yes. almost in real. I don't see that in Canada. Would you agree? I I agree. I, I've been uh, saying that we've been very complacent. Part of it is cultural because uh, historically we've been very gifted by natural resources. We've been gifted by our trading relationship with the U.S. that is quite unique and special. Uh, these two things are still there, but are, are less secure for us than, it, than they were, let's say, in the last 30 years. So to your point, we need to develop a supply agenda, make things, produce things, uh, and we need a science, technology, architecture renewal that would allow us to do this. You know, when you talk about clean tech, you really talk about bringing two technologies to the market. How do we take our public R&D and transform it into products and economic outputs and private firms and scale our firms? as a result of it. And this is where, in my view, industrial strategy needs to be focused on, as opposed to giving subsidies to companies. It has to be focused on translating that R&D output into private firms, and that bridge in Canada is missing. In the US, uh, over the last uh, 50 years, they have developed very sophisticated mechanism in space, for example, with NASA, and in defense with DARPA, where people uh, are bringing together industry and researchers to solve real-time problems and export those to private firms. In Canada, we've been very uh, complacent about this, and we think innovation is still about funding R&D. It has to be much more than that. Uh, just um, uh, earlier this week, I interviewed... Um... Amanda Hall is the CEO of Summit Nanotech. It's a startup out of Calgary that has developed uh, nanotech the technology to strip lithium from briny water in what, what normally would take 18 months in a mine can now be done in one day at less cost. And with, I mean, this is groundbreaking technology. And we talked about the, the valley of death. Uh, from the from this gap where from the the bench from concept and prototype to pilot project demonstration project and then getting into commercialization and Amanda and her team had to go to Europe and the United States to get the funding 
right. and the and the support expertise in order for her to for her to do that. And that is, and she said, you know, this is common. The other CEOs of startups I'm talking about, we're all having to do this because Canada just isn't structured. And in fact, one of her uh, the, the companies that led it was BDC, a federal crown corporation. Mm -hmm. This is how bad our system is broken. It is. Uh, I would say it encourages uh, creation of startups. And this is a good example you bring in. But the tough part is to take the startup and make it a global anchor firm. And in Canada, we've been very bad at this. I would say on the capital side, there are still huge uh, challenges. One being that um, it takes patience for these companies to, 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 to mature and to commercialize their invention and then having uh, clients on the other end. Uh, and by the way, the other thing we're not doing well is that public procurement often is not used to incentivize uh, Canadian technology. If you look at NASA and DARPA, again, part of the reason why these big companies like Boeing and Lloyd Martin became what they are is that they were able to sell their stuff to the military. Of course, you could argue we don't have that kind of size and scale, but still, we could do much more uh, at the provincial and federal level in terms of public procurement. The other thing is I think our pension funds should be doing much more on the financing side uh, and, sh and should be incentivized maybe by ta the tax system to do so uh, because there's a huge pools of capital there that are being deployed elsewhere, unfortunately, uh, and not in Canada. So I think, I think there are ways to make this much better in terms of the ecosystem of finance. Yeah, it's really ironic to see these large pension funds, including the CPP, uh, investing out of in countries outside of Canada, taking basically Canadian capital and deploying it out where they have opportunity elsewhere. Now, uh, last November, I was in Vancouver at a press conference uh, by Jonathan Wilkinson, who's the Canadian Minister of Natural Resources, and he talked about industrial policy, and I asked him some very specific questions about it, and he made it very clear. He said, there are three components to it, to Canadian industrial policy, carbon pricing, provision of capital, like these big subsidy funds that firms can yep. apply to, and regulations. And, you know, give the minister credit. He's been thinking about industrial policy. This is top of mind for him. He had a, a coherent answer. But what he outlined as Canadian industrial policy is woefully inadequate in the context that you and I are talking. Absolutely agree with your assessment there. Unless, uh, first of all, you need to be much more specific in terms of sectoral composition and going back to Raimondo's speech, identifying why you want to win is really important. In Canada, it's still too broad. We're not uh, a big country, so we have to be, be clear about where uh, we have a competitive advantage. Second is... It's easy for the state to be all over the place and say, we're going to try to do everything and boil the ocean. I think where industrial strategy work, it, where it de-risks private investments and where private investments are lacking is that the industrial research, uh, you know, what used to be the corporate labs in the 50s and 60s, that were amazing engines of growth, but that were left aside by corporations because they were too risky and too expensive that model has to be recreated. And this is why I'm so fond of the DARPA model, because I think it's basically a modern version of corporate labs. 
where industry and uh, academia comes together with private sector funding, not just public funding, and, and are able to uh, commercialize and, and uh, absorb these technologies into the economy. Um, and this is where I find Canada um, positioning is really weak. We, we still give the money to granting councils, hoping that somehow some things will change and they never are. Uh, we let researchers do the research uh, that they want, not thinking about what is important and not thinking it to industrial policy. And I'm not saying it's one or the other, but it should be better balanced. Uh, and um, we give a lot of the subsidies to companies that uh, are not at the sector level, but at the firm's level. And I would argue that's the wrong way to do industrial policy. Well, let me give you an example of uh, from, drawn from Alberta. Uh, now, under Premier Peter Lougheed in the 70s and 80s, uh, they had a Austra, which Absolutely. basically developed the modern steam-assisted gravity drainage without which the oil sands would not have expanded to where it is today. And it was extremely successful. And then, of course, it got folded into something else and kind of withered away. But today... The Alberta Innovates, which is the provincial innovation agency, has been working since 2018 on turning bitumen into carbon fiber precursor. Mm -hmm. And they they think that in a couple of two to three years, they'll have a commercial ready process and that they will be able to produce uh, carbon fiber at scale uh, at about half the current cost. So this is an area where the provincial agency has uh, sponsored the R&D, sponsored the science, yes. come up with a commercial process. And there's, well, A, the UCP government, when it came in in 2019, cut the budget hmm. of the Alberta Innovates budget. Instead of expanding it, they cut it by about, I think, about uh, 25, 30%. And there's no real strategy tied to it to, to when that process is ready to commercialize, to then commercialize it right, and to attract the private investment. And, and I've talked to, I, for an article I, read, I wrote, I talked to the vice president of a Missouri-based carbon fiber company who's been following this. And they said, when that's ready, we will build a plant in Alberta to make carbon fiber. Because you make right. it close, you, you cite the plant close to where the carbon fiber precursor mm -hmm. is, is made. And and this gets mentioned every once in a while in by the government or by the opposition that they think it's a great idea, but there's no industrial strategy and policy tied to what is an enormous opportunity. And this right. is just one example that's coming out of this innovation uh, network. I'm so glad you brought uh, forward the Astra example because I think it's very powerful. Like we've done this before in Canada, it has worked. And it has provided Canadians amazing living standards as a result of it. You know, this is not abstract. When we talk about industrial strategy, people think are uh, a bunch of academics thinking about models of economic growth. It's not what this is about. This is about raising GDP per capita. This is about raising living standards, you know, uh, lifting all boats uh, uh, with rising tides. And I think th this has to be understood. The problem is, I think sometimes governments uh, overreach, and that's why industrial policy has such a bad uh, connotation for a lot of people on the right. And on the left, I think people uh, are trying to solve too many problems that the state is not able to to uh, to solve. And so, 
I, I'm kind of a more pragmatic, I come to it from a more pragmatic standpoint and I look at it as an ecosystem and I see where does the ecosystem need reinforcement. And for me, industrial R&D, uh, you know, the, 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 the stage from invention to uh, economic output is, is lacking and this is where it needs reinforcement. But it requires sophistication. It requires policy instruments. It requires policy design. Um, and it, it also requires, this is the problem with all these crown corporations that we have, uh, some questioning as to what works and what doesn't. You know, these programs that give billions every given year, and we don't know if it works or not, and people still keep going. I, and we have tons of them. We have dozens of these agencies out there giving money to a lot of people. So it's it's more a question of focusing and being more intentional as what 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 is it we're trying to solve here? Yeah, I'd have to agree, and and we should point out that Canada actually does have some that that innovation ecosystem is not entirely absent. Right. Uh, there's a you know there's the Canadian uh, Research Innovation Network, CRIN as it's known. There yep. are provincial innovation agencies. I just mentioned the Alberta one, but other provinces have them as well. Right. It seems like uh, there's opportunity being lost uh but sort of left behind because we're not doing it in the in the very deliberate strategic exactly. fashion that that the americans are and and so we kind of do it willy-nilly and if something succeeds well we pat ourselves right. on the back and if it doesn't well you know who who who's paying attention anyway and exactly. and it's and it's that leadership on the policy side and you mentioned in your you mentioned uh, uh, Finance Minister Christian Freeland's calls for, you know, a, a, musk, a real muscular industrial, industrial strategy in Canada. But the federal government has not followed that up. This is, you know, this is like last yeah. October she said this. They haven't followed it up with a strategy or with a process to get a strategy. And again, we're in this kind of Canadian, you know, limbo where we muddle, we muddle through again. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh Every budget, it seems they have something out on the in the window, a growth fund, an innovation agency, and one year one year later, we still don't know what these things are, how they're gonna work, who they are going to target, which problems are they are trying to solve, and, and so uh, and how do they interact with all the existing ones? That's my concern. You know, you have SDTC, you have BDC, you have EDC, you have all this constellation of agencies that probably, as you say, are doing some good things. Uh, but what's important is in the aggregate. Are we are we focused enough to make a substantial difference in some key sectors of uh, advanced industries? And, you know, um, the other thing I'm quite critical about uh, how the government's approach uh, it, it works is that it's very untargeted. You have to pick sectors, again, my point about sectoral composition is that there are sectors where R&D is more concentrated, where productivity gains will be higher, where innovation is absolutely essential. Uh, and that's basically all around advanced manufacturing. You have to produce goods uh, in, uh, in agriculture, in uh, the energy sector, in all the stuff that historically we've been good at. But you have to bring R&D at scale and technology to make these sectors even more productive. And that's how we're going to grow the pie. 
Uh, just to wrap up our conversation, Robert, uh, the one thing we haven't talked about so far is urgency. Right. And this is why I brought up the IEA report, the Technology Perspectives 2023. Uh, that and other interviews that I've done with, with uh, you know, S&P Global and Bloomberg NEF and so on, those experts take a global view of this. And I ask them, how long do we have? Does Canada have till 2030? Does it have a decade, mm -hmm. two decades? And their response almost universally is Canada has two to five years to get its act together because other countries are chasing the uh, clean yes. energy technology opportunities that we would like to. Vietnam, Malaysia, Indonesia, these are all countries that have very aggressive policies and, and they want this as much as we do. And if we don't move now, the window of opportunity closes and then it's not it, it, getting into those supply chains once they've yeah. hardened and formed is very, very difficult. Would you agree? I totally agree. And just to give a concrete example of this, when uh, the Ukraine war uh, started, it was obvious that it would eventually trigger an energy crisis for European countries and Asian countries. Since then, two uh, heads of government from Japan and Germany have come to Canada begging for LNG, and we left them go home, essentially saying, we might send you some hydrogen in five, 10 years from now. That's, an, that's a window of, of opportunity that we missed. And to me, it's very indicative of how we think as a country. Why did uh, the Americans become so good at, uh, uh, on the space sector, at the space sector? It's because they were threatened by Russians with the Sputnik crisis in the, in the 50s. Same with defense. There was a military national security urgency to build defense capabilities with wars. Why is Germany so good at advanced manufacturing? Because it had to, because it fought two world, two world wars. Um, again and again, why South Korea is so innovative? Well, look at where they are located. Uh, and so now I think Canadians have to take into account that we live in this threatening world where our neighbor just put this bazooka out with this IRA and CHIPS Act saying, guys, wake up. Uh, and if you don't, we'll take all your markets. Capital is very mobile. And so, yes, we have talent. Yes, we have renewable energy. Yes, we have a lot of good things that most countries want. But if you don't have that sense of urgencies of ambition and execution, execution is so important in this country and so lacking, all these fights between the feds and the prov, if we don't get our act together, these opportunities will, will like the LNG, uh, pass and we'll miss the window. We won't become a poor country, but we'll become a poorer country, that's for sure. Well, Robert, this has been a fascinating conversation, and I hope there are a few politicians and uh, policymakers that have listened to it. So, well, thank you thank very you. much. I appreciate the invitation.